Peace to the planet. I go by the name of Charlemagne the God, Uncle Charlotte, Lenard, whatever you want to call me. And listen, man. I'm here to gift you with a brand new podcast from the Black Effect Podcast Network, all right? With the holidays here, the Breakfast Club is going to take a little break, but don't worry, we got you, all right? Just sit back, cool out, and entertain yourself with this new podcast from my Carolina brethren, Stephen Smith Sr. and Gerald Littlejohn. Cut to It Podcast is here to bring you interviews from your favorite athletes, entertainers, and more. They ask the questions that we all want to know, but nobody ever asks. Make sure you listen to Cut To It Podcast on The Black Effect or wherever you get your podcast. This is Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr., a production of The Black Effect and iHeartRadio. I'm Steve Smith Sr. And I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. Cut To It. Cut To It. Let's get down to it. Cut To It. We ask the questions you always want to know, but no one ever asks. Let's cut to it. You know it's all. If you ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. Cause you know it's all. It's all. Cause you know it's all. Okay. Alrighty. Me and my wife foolishly decided we were going to play tennis over the weekend in the just it was hot. Yeah, it's been sticky. I mean, we, we, know, in, we in North Carolina, we in Charlotte. For for those of y'all who don't know, so it gets humidity. It is painstakingly hot. I mean, outside. It, it's been it's been hot in North Carolina. Um, I mean, it's been ninety degrees mm-hmm. in October, November. Right? We've we've had a Thanksgiving where it's been like eighty four degrees, yeah. which is. You but know, then it feels like ninety seven with all the humidity. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's different. So we decided we we're gonna play tennis, mm-hmm. right? And so. Where we play tennis, they also have some uh, – it's a pool right there. So there was a guy. He was about 60 years old, and, again, he was by the pool, so he had a, he, he was walking from the pool past the tennis courts to his car mm-hmm. to go in, mm-hmm. to, to leave. And he had on – he didn't have on a shirt. Okay. So he was again. Suns out, guns out. Suns out, guns out. But he was sixty years old, so he he had it, he had it for a sixty year old man, or or maybe could have been older. He was pretty fit, okay. and he wanted everybody to know. Gun, gun still loaded. He, a he bit. wanted everybody to know. Look, I'm old, mm-hmm. but I'm still handling business. Yeah. So I look over, and one just you know I was always taught respect your elders. So I look over sure. and I said, "Hey, suns out, guns out." He said, "Yeah." I said, "Hey, but." Um, you got those guns registered? Mm-hmm. He looked at me and said, nah, I ain't shot these in a while, <laughs> bro. <laughs> he had his clip loaded waiting for you to ask. He wanted someone. That's why he didn't have a shirt on, because he was waiting for someone to he ask. He said, I, yeah, I ain't shot these. I No, what did he say? I haven't discharged these in years. <laughs> and what I loved about that is, one, when I was acknowledging, hey, mm-hmm. I see you working old. I yeah. see you. I see you working young, man. Uh-huh. It was really cool because when I get 60 or 70 years old, man, I still kind of want a four-pack at least. A four- right? <laughs> two, the other two still in the cooler. Still in the cooler, <laughs> right? Because obviously when you're 60 or 70, you ain't working out like you used uh-uh. to. But just to, ha- just to have a, a two-pack, yeah. man, that's progress because it – there's a lot of 30-year-olds that are walking around with kegs. They ain't got no packs. So did he run up on you like he wanted to try you? Or he no. just ran? He, he wasn't like that? No, he was he was strolling by in his flip-flops yeah. and his yeah. shorts and, and his shirt. And 
I was fully dressed in 90-degree weather uh, mm-hmm. playing tennis. Mm-hmm. And people were like, really, Steve, you play tennis? Actually, I'm a 3-5 in tennis. What, is that, what does that mean? That means there's 5-0. Mm-hmm. I mean, 4 5 4-0, 3-5, 3-0, 2-5, 2-0. 2-0 is you're terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, a 3-5 is you could play a little bit, run around. I love the exercise. I'm actually a huge tennis junkie. Love Love tennis. Uh, grew up watching Andre Agassi. Okay. And, um, you know, on, on here on Cut Tour, we also eventually have some tennis guys, too. Brothers talking tennis. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, you know, obviously Arthur Ashe, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of different guys here in North Carolina. There's um, Andy Murray, um, really good friends. He grew up in Greensboro, mm-hmm. uh, John yep. Isner. Um, obviously, you got the Serena's that's down the street from the house in L.A. West um, Coast girls. Uh, I remember I had the uh, unique opportunity to visit um, James Blake when he was playing. Um, his mom actually uh, was his trainer and and, and really kind of kept him in focus. So I was pretty good. So I, I love tennis. Um, An intense dude. That's that's crazy, man. An intense dude like you, yeah. savage on the field, swinging tennis club. Why you say it like that? I'm, no, I'm saying like, I'm, not like you're judging judging you. no, yeah, I'm not judging you. No, I'm not judging yeah, you at you all. I'm just saying I find it interesting that you know a, a if you guy continue like to yourself, keep backpedaling, you're gonna hit the water cooler over there. That's cool. cool. I play. I play, cool. I play a little DB in my life, but I'm just saying yeah. I, I do seriously. I find it interesting that that you play tennis. I mean, Why? it's cool because I think the the for one, I mean, you are a football player. You're yep. a tense dude, uh-huh. and tennis is such a quote unquote country club sport. That um, yeah. I really find it interesting, and, I, and honestly, I find it cool. If, even for me, like my daughter, who's six, your niece Mia, um, she loves swimming mm-hmm. and she loves playing golf. Two things that I never Correct. grew up around where I'm from. So honestly, what I'm saying is, I find it cool that you can invest yourself in a sport that otherwise, you know, places that we're from, yeah. you don't typically play. So I, honestly, I find it really cool that. You know, in your later stages in life, you can find something like that that really keeps you fit, keeps you focused, and keeps you really, you know, keeps you around some sort of competitiveness. Man, let me tell you in tennis, you want to get ran, mm-hmm. play some old folks. Mm, they give you the business. Give you the <laughs> business. Because in tennis, yeah. tennis is a mind game, right? Mm-hmm. And it's ball placement. And a lot of the older people don't they, have that movement like mm-hmm. they used to. But they but they playing from a mental standpoint. And so they so I played an older guy yeah. and got my butt whooped. <laughs> and he ran me. I mean ran me off the court oh, because man. ball placement. I'm over there. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. I'm running from side to side. Baseline uh-huh. to baseline. That, uh-huh. that dude was out hey, there. Like, yeah, out, out, out there running there. for no reason. He was out there like mm. and, he, and just cross he court. Th- throwing darts. Th- <laughs> And, but I love tennis because it's it's a great it is a great sport mm-hmm. in which it requires mental fortitude, mm-hmm. strategy, but you can also hit the snot out of the ball, yeah, and then they can return it same velocity, even more, mm-hmm. or they can set you up. So it's a lot of mental aspect of it. It's and a you, lot of and you chess. Was a big mouth bass out there. I was, but that old man taught me something. I'll run him, I'll run him into the ground right now. But, you know, that ain't going to happen. I, I, but I really love tennis. And so me and my wife play tennis together. Mm-hmm. Um, my boys, I am uh, Deucey. Um, we call him Deucey Magoosey. Mm-hmm. Steve Smith Jr. Uh, I have brainwashed him um, into being a tennis player. Okay. He's going um, be to become a tennis player. 
and then I will be able to live in Italy um, for a year or two because he'll be he'll be training out there. And um, oh, so we're gonna be recording from Italy. I like. I don't. It. I don't really care like where it. we like record it. from, but I'm getting to Italy at some point <laughs> uh, to just be there for a year and let him train. Um, in Italy, and then I can blow up by eating a whole bunch of pizza. There you go. There you go. There you go. Yep. So, G, uh, let's cut to it. And uh, who's our guest for today? Because I don't know who it is. We we talked about some guys, and then now I got like a surprise guest that you're supposed to be telling me. And so now I'm just going off the – I am literally – I have no questions in front of me because you guys didn't tell me. So if this show seems a little bit erratic today – that's only because they surprised me with a guest, and I don't know who it is, but I think it's going to be an awesome guest. All right, coming up, we got a very special surprise guest, an icon, a legend, Michael Vick. He went to Virginia Tech University. He's a four-time pro bowler. He was the NFL comeback player of the year in 2010, and he's the NFL's all-time leader in rushing yards by a quarterback, over 6,000 yards. Michael Vick. Thanks for coming on to the Cut To It podcast, brother. Thanks for having me, man. It's just a pleasure to be on. It's a pleasure to be on. Hey, this segment we're about to go into is called Get Iced Up with Smitty. It's basically our icebreakers. So be prepared for anything. Smitty, I'll let you take it from here. Favorite childhood cereal? Captain Crunch. Ooh, mm, good pick. Captain good Crunch. Pick. It was flavorful, especially when they started throwing the flavors up in there. It that's, got that's better as the years went on. That's, that's a hood favorite right there. Hey, oops. That's a hood favorite. All <laughs> berries. That's a, favorite. <laughs> that's a hood favorite right there. All man. berries, yeah. The all man. berries. And they had the blueberries and the red berries came. Yep. It was popping. It was popping. Yes. The summer activity you love to do. Swimming at the Boys and Girls Club. My, that was my thing. You know what I mean? That, that was my thing. To, to swim, swim, swim. And it made me stronger. It made me better. Um, you know, as a, as, a, as a football player, and, and, you know, growing up where I grew up because I was stronger than everybody. Nobody liked to swim but me, and it was a passion growing up, so swimming at the Boys and Girls Club. Now, I know you had a ton of fast twitch. Yeah. However, now you retire. So how you wearing your <laughs> shoes? You got shoelaces or Velcro? Uh, I got I got shoelaces. <laughs> I can't believe you tried to disrespect the icon like that, giving him Velcro look, shoes. Hey, look, see, I can't get caught in the Velcro. <laughs> look, look, if you, look, 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 if you ask me this 10 years from now, then you might get a different answer. Uh, nah, we can't have you in Velcro at all. When I had the big 50, yeah, I, I, I ain't throwing on Velcro. So, <laughs> so, here come Mike. <laughs> oh, let me strap up real quick. <laughs> <laughs> all right, look, man. Spat him up. <laughs> well, we, we really appreciate you coming Absolutely. on and, and uh, the purpose uh, of, the, of our podcast really is to get the insight um, and understand the, the man, the woman as well yep. inside mm-hmm. the jersey. We want you to start off before we really get into uh, really who Michael Vick is, just set the stage. Like, where'd you grow up? How'd you grow up? Mm-hmm. Right? And, 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 and really how and where you grew up, how did that shape your life, good and bad? And, and, and so paint that picture for us. We all know, you know, the good and the bad. Yeah. But it, but it all started from somewhere. Where, where is that yeah. place? It, it started in, in Newport News, Virginia. Um, 
a place I consider home for 18 years until I left Virginia Tech. Um, you know, I, I moved around to a couple different neighborhoods from the, the age of, uh, you know, six until I was about 10 years old. So I had a, 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 always had different crews of friends, uh, which, which was cool and, and until I moved into uh, my last neighborhood, Ridley Circle, where I grew up, where I grew up, you know, from the age of 10 to like 18 and met all my friends who, uh, you know, I got to know and still friends with guys to this day, but had dreams with and, you know, thought about what life would be like with, you know, as, as a young man, growing into an older man, you know, we went through everything together. You know, we went through, you know, the, the preteen years and the teen years and, you know, to playing football and liking girls and, you know, everybody had their own set of goals and dreams. And, you know, it was so, you know, it was a tough situation to grow up in because, you know, you, you don't know, you, you don't have a lot, mm -hmm. you know, until you go around somebody who has a lot. And one of my cousins, uh, his mom and dad was in the household and they both had good jobs. And, you know, I seen a different side of life and I'm like, you know, I want that life, you know, even though I don't have what he have, you know, if I can experience that and learn from that experience, you know, it, it helps shape and mold me to, you know, me thinking like, look, I want more than what we have. And, uh, you know, I started playing, you know, football at like the age of seven. And it was like the coolest game ever. You know, I didn't start out as a quarterback. You know, I was a running back at first. That's a different story. But, you know, the dream started right there. And, and I was like, man, they get paid for this? You know, I'm pretty good at this. Hmm. You know, I think this is something that I want to do. And, you know, fast forward to, you know, from the age of 10 to 18, it was like, man, you got to be so much in order to get a scholarship to go to you know college and to to play in the national football league so i looked at the journey that i had to travel and i'm like man this is tough but as a 10 year old kid i was like i'm prepared for that journey so you know growing up in that environment prepared me for that journey i think my friends and the, the, the guys i grew up with the guys i really grew up with um they helped me with that journey and then you know it was high school college and then but when you say guys I really grew up with? I say that, Steve, because I, I, I really feel like, um, you know, my, my two best best friends, my two besties, uh, a guy named Jamal Wilson and Kevin Stanley, was the guys that I, when, I, when we touched 18, we all went our separate ways. They both went in the military and I went on to college. And then it was, you know, guys that I met, you know, over time and, you know, when Kevin wasn't playing football and Jamal wasn't playing football, I got closer with my teammates. Some of those guys good dudes, some of them were bad dudes. But they all they, they became my friends and I hung out with them and you know we kind of made decisions and choices together, you know, good and bad. And uh, you know, it, it it was what it was. But those two guys that I just named were, you know, my guys. And to this day, like they still like my besties. Mm -hmm. The ones that's gonna tell me, like, nah, you making a, a bonehead decision or you know, you shouldn't do that. They, they're not afraid to tell me no, you know, and uh, that, that, that's that been the biggest telltale sign of why, you know, those guys are my, they always been my besties, man. They always will be. And, you know, so, you know, I learned my lesson with friends along the way, you know, how to determine if your friend is really a friend. You know, Mike, I played against you a um, long time, good and bad. And we were out, we were in the same draft class and, yep. um, and, you know, we both doing analyst work now. Um, you're doing a fantastic job on Fox, you know, and I'm 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 trying That's to keep perfect. up with you uh, on NFL no, Network. I'm amazing. 
Appreciate it. Now I'm going to take this time to address something, the elephant in the room, because I think it's one um, journalistic integrity that I'm learning of talking about it. But just steer me in a direction if, if I say something that's, uh, if I misspeak, but basically okay. um, around 2006, you know, the FBI and some of that stuff started an investigation about some yeah. of uh, the outside activity that was going on outside yeah. of uh, your employment with the Atlanta Falcons and you were um, basically convicted or, or, or I believe uh, plead got a plea deal with them on dogfighting and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. And so August 27, 2007, you were sentenced and had to serve an 18 month prison term and also had to do two months of house arrest. Yeah. You also had to pay back money to the Atlanta Falcons. I believe uh, a whole bunch of money. Um, none of us got under our, under our mattresses. No, uh, no, absolutely not. Yeah. But you also, Mike, Mike Vick is the original highlight reel. Um, myself and many other people uh, feared when you had the ball in your hands. When we were standing on the other sideline, I'm like, man, if that they let this dude get loose again, we in trouble. <laughs> I want to ask you, when you went to prison, did Michael Dwayne Vick walk in that prison or was it Michael Vick the highlight reel? Oh man, that's an amazing question. Because Michael Vick, the highlight reel, walked into that and into that prison, and walked in there feeling like, "Damn, this shouldn't this shouldn't be me. I had too much money for this. I I shouldn't you know I, I shouldn't be in this situation. You know, that first couple of hours I was in there, every time they came to check on me to make sure that I was good and I wasn't in there committing suicide. That you know I thought somebody was coming and locked that door to let me out. You know, I, I, and I'm like, because I felt like I didn't deserve to be there. And then over time, you know, as the nights went on and the days went, was longer and the days hurt, they hurt. You know, you're thinking about, you know, the outside world, you think about family and watching football and watching you guys, you know, you know, like men of integrity out there doing what they supposed to be doing because that's what everybody dreamt of doing their entire lives unless they just fell into it, you know. Very, very blessed to be out there on the field in that situation. And I'm, you know, one of the you know marquee players of the, of the league, and I'm sitting in the prison cell. And I'm like, damn, this shouldn't be me. But as time went on, I realized like, yeah, this was gonna, it was supposed to be me. It needed to be me because I started thinking about, you know, all the people I did hurt, all the animals I hurt, all the, you know, things that I did and the decisions I made that could have been better. And I'm like, you didn't make the all the right decisions. You know, nobody's perfect, but at the same time, you probably made more bad decisions than you did good. And that's the reason you, you're in, in this place right now. So, you know, I looked at that, you know, understood it, you know, I accepted it. And I was like, you know, when I leave out of here, I'm gonna come out of here a different person. I'm gonna come out of here a man of integrity. I'm gonna respect my family. I'm gonna respect, you know, the, the game. I'm gonna respect the people who try to um, help me in, in every facet of my life and want the best for me. And I'm not going to ignore that. I'm going to grow up. I'm not going to be so reserved and I'm not going to be so, you know, introverted. I'm going to try to open up. You know, I, 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 all those things is on my mind. And, and, and I, I felt like, you know, I did it, but I needed that time 
to get to that point in my life. So the highlight, you know, Michael Vick, the highlight real walking in prison, Michael Vick, the man came out. And I'm, mm. I'm very appreciative of that in my life. What, so what did you discover about, about, about yourself really being yeah. put in that position 23 hours a day? Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, just losing control, you know, was, was probably the biggest thing. I'm like, I have no control of, you know, when I'm going to eat. I have no control of when I got to go to sleep. Or, you know, I, I'm pretty much on somebody else's time, you know, um, with a lot of idle time. And I'm like, damn, like, you know, I, I got to find a way to, to, to make this, you know, somewhat, you know, a, a success story. Like, man, I got it in me. I know I can do it. I, I, I know the decisions that was made that was wrong. Damn, I should have just did it right. You know, all I started thinking about was a second chance, another opportunity. If I get a chance to do it all again, then I'm going to do it this way. And, and I know I'm not going to be perfect, but at least I know I'm not going to be around those same people, you know, the same influences. You know, I'm, I'm growing up a little bit and yeah. I wanted to show people more than anything that when I got out, I was more mature. You know, it started with Roger Goodell. You know, he was the last person I looked into his face and lied to, you know, about being involved. So I was able to start with him, break the ice, tell the truth. I was wrong. He said, look, I'm not here to talk about the past. I'm here to talk about the future. And right then and there, when I heard that, I was just like, okay, that's it. That's it. It's, it's all about the future. And yeah. Roger Goodell told me that in our initial conversation, and that changed my life. That made me look at the world different. It made me know that the vision that I had could, could come true, like all the other visions I had. What vision... I don't know. I, I got a lot of like a lot of stuff in my mind. I was, you know, I, we spent yeah, a lot of time, bro. We we spent a lot of time, like uh, all my all the staff, all the people that's working with us. We spent a lot of time just kind of looking at all this stuff about mm -hmm. about you. And I watched a lot of things myself. And and the one thing I kept focusing on it was like, you know, I don't want this to you to come on here and to rehash something. Right. Um, that's happened. However, I don't want people to feel like oh. that we're glancing over or we're, or we're, we're giving you trying to, we're trying yeah, to tap hey, dance around hey, it. Hey, yeah. yeah, yeah, look, 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 it's all under control, baby. Yeah, but, but also, control. like, I also put myself in your position is I've done some stupid stuff in my life. And yeah. you know how when you do some stupid that. stuff, you sit in there, right? And I say mm -hmm. stupid because if I'm being 100, Man, Vic, you bro, like playing against you? I so, yeah, I, like, I know. Hey, Steve, I know the stories about. You. I know. I know. <laughs> I know you. We gonna get. We gonna get into them I stories, man. I know, but I'm saying. I'm saying. real deal. Man. I'm but saying man. all this. All this stuff about you. Like I watched you, and when that all went down, you know, being so close here in Charlotte, in Charlotte, yeah. trying to mimic the growth of Atlanta. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we we got the information. Like we, it, it was like, it was happening here. And yeah, bro, like sitting here and just putting myself in that position, I'm going, all the stupid stuff I've done in my life. You know how many times I've gotten in trouble and then you wake up and you, you wake up with your eyes open and you just kind of that one eye, you go, I hope it's- Did I make it through this? I hope it's not real. Yeah. Yeah. And then you realize, damn, it's, nah, it's, we still really here. Like, yeah. I, I just, I, I really, like, I really want you to kind of, like, just take us through that personal journey 
of sitting in there because a lot oh, of times no there's so no many doubt. people like I read some of the comments, people like the YouTube stuff that every time yeah. you're on there, people are like, he's not, he's not remorseful. The man yeah. spent 18 months yeah. in jail. Right. It don't, even if he's not remorseful, he paid his he's sitting he's paid in his, his in his dirt yeah. right yeah. now. Yeah, right? and, and yep. I, I just I personally don't cannot sit there even visiting men in prison mm -hmm. myself mm -hmm. sitting mm -hmm. there going they may not the first week or two weeks or the first month but this brother has 17 other months to go ain't nobody getting him out yeah. he's not yep. getting a I free pass the hurt. I cannot explain the hurt from that though like man I'm so it, this is how much it hurt. It hurt me that it became normal being in there. It hurt me that it became normal on a Friday night, walking the track, looking out at the rest of the world, cars going by, people going by and saying, damn, it's life that really exists out there and I don't have freedom. You know, and, you know, I just felt like from the start, when I found out that I was first going to prison, I just kept looking at myself in the mirror like, bro, you're going to prison. You're going to prison. I know what it's going to be like or trying to imagine. And, you know, like you just you're trying to wake up from it. Like, yo, is this really real? And then next thing, you're still living it. I'm like, damn, like this is, this is really happening, you know? And, you know, just so, it's just so sad, bro. Like just to um, not have control after having control of my entire life and leading the way, you know, I'm driving it, I'm driving the train, I'm steering the train everywhere, any, every direction I wanted to go. And then I just, I, I steered it off the track, boom. And now we just we crashed, we go over there, it's just abandoned and it's just like, damn, like, you know, you just gotta pick up the pieces, man. I had to yeah. really pick up the pieces and get myself together and like lost everything, lost all, you know, lost everybody but my wife. Hmm. Everything with my wife. She's still there standing there, standing tall in the end. You know, and even when I was telling her when I came back, like, I, I, I'm, I'm on the bench right now. I'm the third quarterback, but I just need a shot. She believed in me, you know, but she believed in me as a man that I was going to change, you know. And that's, you know, another thing, that, like that transformation too. Like, she's just been a big inspiration in my life to just help me change and look at the world different and understand things and know that she can be just as you know, reliable and, and you know, assertive in, in her friendship as, you know, as a man, as somebody else that I felt like I needed comfort in. Uh, like, I, I kind of put that, you know, onus on her now and we put it on each other and, you know, made us stronger, made me stronger to this did, day. Did you think, did you think she'll leave you? Did you think she'll yeah. stick by you? Oh, going through that? Um, yeah, see, because, um, you know, I was real foul in my day, man. I was like, yo, man, you know, no respect, you know. Um, I had no idea of what it was like to maintain a, a real relationship and, a, you know, to love somebody who truly loved you. You know, I was caught up in that whole spotlight, Mike yeah. Vick life, you know, the money, the fame. You know, I was caught up in all that, you know, and, and it, it took for God to, like, put me in a vulnerable situation where, like, she broke me down where I was like, yo, no, I... I'll change it all. I'll I, I, I give it all up, you know, just to have you. You know, so I, you know, I, I thought because of that, because I went through that with her prior, that when I left, 
It's like, oh, you made another bonehead decision. You deal with that yourself. Nah, she was there. She was right there when I came home, every step of the way, every phone call. Like, damn, that's true loyalty, you know. Yeah. I, I that's why I learned loyalty. Like it, it can come from, it can come in a lot of different ways from a lot of different people, and I respect that. So you, you, you basically twenty, almost, almost thirty years old, and you just figuring out what real loyalty is, especially coming yeah. from the hood, from the hood where we, we think we know what loyalty is, just because of, you know, when you're on the bottom. All you got is your word. Yeah. yeah. Also taught to just naturally, we, we taught to distrust too, right? Yeah. So that's, that's already ingrained yep. in you too. So when you have an experience like Mike had and you have these people that fail you, it gets stripped away. But man, thank, thank God your wife was able to stay with you through that entire stretch. And, and, was, and it sounds yeah. almost as if she was a motivating factor when you was behind the wall. Oh, yeah, she was the strength. She was the strength that need like that first two weeks and I cried every day. Like she'd be on the phone, it's gonna be all right. It's gonna be all right. You can get you got this, you can do this. I'm like, mm -hmm. nah, I don't. I don't. I don't know what you're talking mm -hmm. about. I don't. You know, you you out there living and breathing and and as you supposed to be. And and I'm I'm right here dealing with this crap. For, you know, now I'm blaming everybody. Now I'm pointing the finger at this person, that person. Now I'm just I'm upset, you know, I'm mad. You know, that, 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 that key to keep unlocking that door ain't let me out. Mm. You know, so I'm like, yeah, I'm stuck. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the box right now. You know, but she was just always encouraging me and, you know, making me laugh. And, you know, we talked for hours. I ran that bill up crazy in there. I had like an $8,000 bill when I left. I was only there for like, uh, I was on the initial prison I went to just uh, as a holding facility when they was just holding me. Um, I stayed there for about, maybe like 45 days. So yeah, I left with like an $8,000 phone bill. Cause all, and, and the, the way the phone was set up wow. was that you could just call back right after and I, I talk for 15 minutes and you got to call back. You can call back and talk. I would just keep her on the phone all day, all day. And that's, you know, that was, the, that, that bridged the gap and helped me get through that little part until uh, they took me to Leavenworth. So, and, and I was relieved when I went to Leavenworth, man. I, I, I was, uh, I was at a prison camp, so I wasn't like um, behind no no serious uh, wall. Even though when I first pulled up, I, they pulled me up in front of the Leavenworth prison, the real prison, and I was mm -hmm. like, "Oh God, they they got me this time," you know. And the guy was like, "You know, ease up. You know, you ain't going over there. You're going over here." And, you know, but I, you know, it still was, you know, it was um, it was a, a facility where it was like you can leave it. You know, you can you can leave it, and and uh, so man, it was just uh. You know, being in Kansas and being away from my family, losing that connection, you know, that was tough, man. And then I had, I had three young kids too. I had my uh, my oldest son, and then my my two daughters, and then my youngest daughter, who is twelve now, her name is London. She was just born and a month old when I turned myself in, so mm. that was a part of the hurt too. Big part of the hurt. Would you have made it if your wife wasn't there to talk to you every day? No, um, honestly, that's another good question because that's something that I never um, been asked uh, or had a conversation with people where it came out. Um, but no, I don't think I would have made it if my wife would have left me because basically I would have had nobody and I was not going to just let any random person come and sit and talk to me about a bunch of nothing. Um, I felt like the only person that I could talk to at the time was her and thank God she listened because she used to come visit and we'll spend three days 
in the visiting room, you only get 24 hours in a month total. You know, we'll spend eight hours a day, three days in a row and just burn it all and, and sit there and just talk and we will argue and we will fight and we will laugh and joke and cry and kiss each other. And, you know, I, I, need, I needed that strength. When I knew she was coming to visit, you know, I, the, the week which went, she made the time go by faster. I'll say that. And, uh, and there was nothing physical. It was all mental and emotional and I respected that part. It was really cool experience, man. And just dealing with that now, you know, like we're like inseparable. We have to take a break and more than anything, we gotta pay some bills. Mm-hmm. You got checked. I love cut to it and I, I love it even more when you download us and subscribe. And you can follow us on social media too, Smitty. Where where at? That's at Cut To It on Instagram. What about Twitter? At Cut To It. Facebook? Cut To It featuring Steve Smith Sr. What about online? And you can follow us at CutToItPodcast.com where you can buy merch and you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. I got all my questions answered. That's what I'm here for, brother. CutToItPodcast.com. I'll talk to you, bro, and played against you prior to you get going to incarceration. And I've listened to you speak and talk to you outside of, uh, after incarceration. Bro, if you'd have went in incarceration about three years into your career, bro, you'd still be playing right now. Wow. I know. Just the way yep. he sees the game, the way he speaks, the way yeah. he speaks, the way he carries himself. Like I met Vic in a whole. We met each other. We were drafted in the same class. We took. It's, it's yep. funny. I knew I was. I knew that I felt like I was respected coming out of draft class because they put you in categories mm-hmm. in the combine. And mm-hmm. in the combine, mm-hmm. I was in. It was funny. Me, Vic, and Quincy were all at that long table, and it was our rotation for our drug tests. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yep. we also took the Wonder Lick in there. Okay. And let me tell yep. you something. Taking a Wonder Lick with some dudes that know they're going to make it, but also some dudes who didn't really pay they attention to school <laughs> as well. Yeah. We, were look, we were all looking at the Wonder Lick <laughs> test like, uh, I hope you got the answers because I, I don't know if I got it, right? And so I was, I was in the draft class, and I believe one of the best draft class because you got Drew Brees mm-hmm. in that draft class, I agree. Michael yep. Vick, yep. Santana yep. Moss. Reggie Wayne, LaDainan, I mean, Dang just Michael Vick. It's, it's unbelievable. Dang. Even down to uh, the, the, the other guys in that draft class, right? Dan Morgan, mm-hmm. right? There's so many guys. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching you, bro, and it's like seeing you today, hearing you today. Like, it just is remarkable that what you went through for most people would hurt them you grow you yeah. grow up just like me we grew up in in in, in what society would call us at risk youth mm-hmm. being an at risk youth you grew up not relying on anybody mm-hmm. not depending on and not trusting anybody however in the midst of all your trouble and all your you know using your word the foulness that uh with with the way you conducted yourself in your relationship with your with, with your better half, mm-hmm. right? It sounds like that you actually learned 
how to really connect and have a transparent and real relational relationship with your your wife at the first time, non-physical and almost a true courtship. I learned to communicate with her. I learned to talk to her. I learned to get feelings out of her that, that I needed, you know, that I needed and she needed. And, um, you know, I, I really wish I had my dad in my life, you know, growing up. Like, because I felt like he would have taught me a lot of things in terms of relationships. You know, he was there, but I didn't see, you know, you learn by example. So I didn't mm-hmm. see him being affectionate. I just didn't see him talking to my mom and sitting her down and, you know, arguing and having you know, maybe a serious argument, but then, you know, it, 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 it all boils over and then they back to, you know, they back to the norm, their normal selves. I didn't see that. I seen it in different lands. It was a little rougher. You know, it was more, you know, it was, a, you know, it was on the abusive side. I'm keeping it real, you know. So I, I, I was like, you know, I had no real concept of, of what, you know, a relationship was supposed to be like. So I think, you know, this in that little time period, she kind of helped me to, you know, learn like what a relationship was supposed to look like. And the best part about it, like you just said, it was just, it was non-physical. And then, so I think that helped, you know, helped the both of us in, in a sense. I know every situation is different. So what was the reinstatement process for you like? Because we hear like reinstatement, you hear, you know, you hear about, yeah. Uh, guys are frustrated with my reinstatement. What's the deal? You know, as if, right. as if the NFL or the oh. the institution suspended them because they don't like their outfit that day, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I want to know really what is the, what is the process? Like, give us detail of, you know, not to get anybody in trouble, but just kind of paint yeah. the paint the picture because, I mean, I've I've been suspended. And I had to do the evaluation process. You know, I, I yeah. punched two guys, so I had to go. They flew me. They actually, uh, I think they drove me. Jay drove me and flew. I don't know which time, though. But anyway, <laughs> they drew, uh, one time they drove, the other time we flew, and I had to do an evaluation with a counselor. Wow. And that yeah. evaluation stunk because I was fresh off the I don't care boat. Yeah. Right? I felt justified in my actions. And so I had the evaluation. It was literally a 10-hour process. Right? Mm-hmm. And so... And they basically came back and I was like, I was sitting in the whole evaluation, body language. I was slouched down, hat to the side. Like, look, I'm just going to do my yeah, time. You're just, trying to, you're just trying to right, right. Go through the motions. <laughs> going through the motions, you know, but your, yeah. your step was a lot more tedious. It required a lot more energy and a lot more meetings because everybody does think you got to slap on the wrist yeah. and you just moved on with your life, which we know is yeah. not true. Right. Um, because yeah. most, most of the places you've been on really don't want to, want to really know what you entail. They want to know, why did you do that? What were you thinking? Right. But we want to know the process, man. I don't, I don't want to know why that shirt looked good on Mike Vick. Right. You know, I yeah. want to know what goes what goes through the whole yeah. process yeah. Yeah. Specific of, to Mike of, of trying to look like a, a handsome, light-skinned brother like myself. <laughs> no doubt. I got to give you that. I got to give you that. Bro, let me tell you. Let me tell you, man. It was, it was, it was rigorous. It was a tough process because First of all, I, when when I was on pre-trial, right before I went to turn myself in to, to go to, to go to prison, I my wife and one of my friends told me like, yo, don't you know, don't don't smoke. I'm like, well, I'm stressed out and I need to I need to smoke, you know, uh, I need to smoke marijuana. I need to. This is what I need to do. They like, no, don't do it. 
I'm like, yo, well, I'm not going to get tested. Boom, I get tested. Now I'm in the drug program with the league. It, it strengthens up my probation. Like, everything just, like, got snapped down on me. And so my process was tougher because I was in a in a drug program, and now I'm getting all these questions about, you know, why did I, you know, smoke marijuana before I, before I even went into prison and, and knowing that I was suspended from the league. So I put myself in a vulnerable situation. So my process really started, it started with Roger. Um, uh, me and Roger met and, you know, I told you, he, he was like, look, we're not here to talk about the, the past. We're here to talk about the future. And then we had, we had conversations and he was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm gonna send you over to another group to meet with. And it was like a group of like 10 people in a room with myself and they uh, they grilled me. They asked me questions from A to Z about my friends, about family, you know, about money, about um, the dog fighting, the truthfulness. There's a lot of things that had to come out, you know, that, that you know, it was one-sided with, with the media. Um, but, and I hadn't had a chance to sit down and talk with everybody. So my evaluation process is what type of help do you really need? Uh, and it was, you know, I think they figured out like, yo, you, you really not, you know, a psychopathic person, you're really not crazy, you know, um, you know, what happened to you, you know, you could have made better judgment, it could have made better decisions, and we think you acknowledge that, and, and we see your, your empathy behind what you're saying you're going to do, and, you know, we feel like you really care, you know, so that was, a, that was probably like a two-month process, um, and, and, and also it was a plan to not have me, you know, start as a you know, be a starter when I came back to the league. Uh, I couldn't see it that way, but I think just behind it was, you know, we, we don't know what type of reception you're really going to get, you know. So it was a lot of, like, we ready to risk it all for you. Um, we, we love you and we respect you as a, as a man and, a, and as a football player, and we're going to give you a shot and see how it goes. And that's all I wanted. So, you know, it was designed for me not to be, be a starter. I think I landed in Philly. It was a blessing I landed in Philadelphia. And um, yeah, so so that was it. So it all happened within like uh, maybe like a six month time span because Tony Dungy came to visit me in prison. He helped start the process, um, and then helped you know to, to just see me, talk to me. Um, a couple of representatives from the Atlanta Falcons came out. Arthur Blank came out. Um, spoke to Andy Reid on, on one occasion. Um, so so yeah, I, I was just kind of like going through. You know, just that normal, you know, what it takes to get reinstated process. And I've never been through it before, but, I, you know, just what I did before made it harder. And then, uh, thank God, Roger made it easier at the end. I, w I became a free agent, uh, you know, at, at plus, I think, 13 years. And, man, when I was going to free, heading up to free agency, bro, it was like, and um, 10 teams interested mm -hmm. in me. Yeah. And when I finally hit free agency and, I, and, and the Panthers released me, man, it went to like four teams. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and I was really, it was really different to be a free agent mm -hmm. for myself. It was a it was an album. I was older, so you know I, I didn't have as many teams. I'm wondering what the, you know, what was the free agency process for you? And then how did you come to the conclusion that Philly was the team? Well, Philly was the only choice. Like, mm. and it was like, they didn't, 
make me go to Philly, but they it was like set up to, you know, go learn from Donovan. My agent thought it was Joe Siegel at the time, thought it was a great idea to go sit behind Donovan. They already had Kevin Cobb and can kind of work yourself back into shape. But I'm like, yo, nah, if Buffalo needs a quarterback, I think they had uh, Trent Edwards at the time. And then uh, I think Carson Palmer just parted ways with, with Cincinnati, Cincinnati yeah. or they needed a backup. He was there for like his last season and they needed it. But I was just looking at those situations like those, those are possible opportunities for me to come back and start and get myself back in shape and come back and show the league that, you know, I'm back and I'm ready. And, and, and you know, what I realized my first practice in Philadelphia before I talk about how I got signed there, I, I wasn't ready. My legs was shot. My body wasn't in shape. You know, they took the weights when I was in, when I was in prison, so I, I couldn't work out. Um, so, you know, when I went through that process, it was like Philadelphia wants you and they get to work with Andy Reid, you know, you get to work behind Donovan, you don't have to start, you can just pick a year and get yourself together. And then it started to make sense to me um, when it was being explained to me, especially by my agent. And, you know, he's like, you just don't want to go up, go out there and then look like, you know, nothing. And then, you know, you get booed by the fans and they're protesting and, you know, you turn the city upside down just like that, you know, just kind of work yourself back into it. And I, I thought that was the right way to go about it as I thought about it. And like I said, I wanted to be mature about my decision making and that process. And, um, you know, didn't want to disrespect Andy Reid at all. I thought he was a great coach um, from afar anyway, working with Donovan. And I felt like it was a year that I could just go learn, mm. play there for a year or be there, learn as much as I can, do my job, and then hopefully go somewhere the next year in free agency. You lost so much control. Yeah. You know, in your incarceration. And now all of a sudden you have a little bit of opportunity. And now you yep. you, you you back trying to control everything, trying to uh remove God from his plan yep. for you. <laughs> and and and, yep. and uh, as this song goes, uh instead of taking a wheel, you instead of letting the Lord take the wheel, you want to take the wheel back. I, I wanted the wheel. I wanted I wanted the ball in my hands. You know, and then think about it, it had, it had nothing to do with football. Like, my, I wasn't playing bad football, you yeah. know, before I left. Oh, oh I yeah, know. So I'm, I'm I, I, about it. I remember. You wasn't playing bad ball <laughs> yeah, at all. That's an understatement. I wasn't playing bad ball at all. Mm -mm. Yeah, I wasn't playing bad ball at all. So I'm like, I got to get back and like, what was it? There was no football to prove. Now that I think about it, it was no football to prove. And it's, it's a shame that it took, it took this conversation, uh, you know, 11, 12 years later, to realize that football wasn't the issue. You know, it was the issue of, you know, what I was returning from and how people felt about it realistically. You know, and, and, and that's that's what it was. You know, that was that was the fight. And I now I see how, you know, um, you know, it was navigated to 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 make it a storybook ending. So job well done to Andy and Roger and uh, Agent Joe, you know, and, and all those guys, you know, who, who played a major part in it, you know, um Tony Dungy. You know, it was all strategic, and, and you know, when smart guys get together, you can get some good good results usually. So thank God for that. Hey, Mike, you you were gonna get into the free agency story with with get, going to the Eagles, but talk a little bit, or would you tell us the relationship you have with Donovan McNabb? I know you talked about how he had an influence with you, and 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 you know all of that stuff, but. You were getting recruited by Syracuse. He was already there. Yeah, yeah. Donovan was my idol, man. Donovan made me believe that I could, I could play college football um, and, and play my style of football. 
Like when I was in my senior year, I think he was in his junior year. And, you know, I watched him my, my freshman, sophomore year, like his freshman, sophomore year at Syracuse. And I'm like, yo, man, this dude is a baller. Like he looked like me when I'm in the backyard with my boys. I got the ball <laughs> in my hand. Like he looked like me or I look like him. And I'm like, man, you know what? I'm going to watch him close to see if he go to the NFL and see if the league draft him because they, ain't, they don't take quarterbacks like that. And I think he – I know he can be good if he, if, if you know, if the team believed or if he got a shot, you know, I'm just looking at him from a talent perspective. So he was like my idol. And then my, my senior year, I took a visit to Syracuse and spent some time with him down there. And he, he, he couldn't persuade me to come to Syracuse because I, I just didn't want to follow somebody else's legacy. I wanted to create my own, mm. but I still, you know, when I went to Virginia Tech, I admired him from afar. I seen that he got drafted. He gave me hope. And I'm like, man, this dude, the man, you know, so the first three or four years, he in the NFC championship games multiple times. And I'm like, man, that's, that's style work. So he just, I just continued to stay a fan of his. And, you know, once I played two years of college ball and got to the league, Donovan was one of the first people I called to help me make a decision on if I was ready to come to the, the NFL. Wow. And he told me, look, man, if you feel like there's nothing else to prove, then, then, then you got to make that jump. So he was influential in that. And then, you know, I always was a fan of his. And even when we had to play against each other and go head to head, it was like fun. You know, and I, I you know, the times, you know, he's the reason I didn't go to the Super Bowl, you know, a couple of years, you know, <laughs> so, you know, he wouldn't let, he wouldn't let little bro get one off. He wouldn't let me get the win, but it was cool. And, and when I went to Philly, it was like, man, I'm a stepping in the locker room with, you know, not only a friend, but really somebody that I idolized growing up. So I get to watch him work and see why he went to NFC Championship games and played in the Super Bowl. And maybe the next time around for me, I can take a little bit of that with me. So our, our relationship uh, was, was real, real, real unique. And, uh, you know, Don was a great dude, man. He had kept me laughing every day. And, and I just, some days I just couldn't believe I was in the locker room with him. It was that real. I think it's about that time. Just uh, take a little breather. Cut to it, cut to it. Let's get down to it. Hey, Gerard, where did you get that T-shirt? You mean this thing? Oh, yes. I got it from CutToItPodcast.com, where we have exclusive merchandise. Shout out to our guys at 704 Shop. But yeah, you can go on, buy you a T-shirt, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Now, after everything's going on, you get picked up by Philly. Did you have to have precautionary things put in place? Uh, if so, were you know, were you was it voluntary uh, on your part or was it was it required? I was on probation. Yeah, um, I had a curfew. I had a curfew. Mm-hmm. I was a grown man with a curfew. You know, um, had to be in the house by like ten. Then some bull crap happened one day. Some got into some shit one day, and then you know, well, not me, but people around me, and then that, yeah. that curfew went to. Went to like five o'clock and I couldn't leave Philadelphia one time. Stories untold, but you know, um, you know, just just still was kind of like, you know, straddling the fence a little bit. I, now I was doing what I needed to do, but still, like some of the wrong people was just showing up at inconvenient times and, yeah. and little things was happening that was just I had nothing to do with it, not, not out of my control. It's just like it was like, well, what are you doing around this person? No, I wasn't around him. He came around me. You know, so a couple of those little issues which led to, you know, a lot of restrictions and then I was on probation, you know, I so I was 
seeing the probation officer and the counselor like two to three times in a week. Like it was, it was, it was mind boggling. Like they, you know, I had a counselor that came every week and I couldn't dodge him because that was mandated by the NFL, you know, um, but he helped me out. That man was there for me. Like that mm-hmm. season I started 2010, like he was, he became my best friend, still one of my great friends to this day, man. And, um, you know, I got so much respect for him, man. I got so much respect for him. We still talk about the world and what's going on with social injustice now. Cause he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a white man, you know, he's, and he's like 60, 68 years old, but his perspective on life is amazing. And, you know, I almost kind of look at him as, as a father figure. So that was one great thing that came out of that whole situation. It was a lot more, but, you know, I met a guy who, um, I can say to this day, care about Mike Vick, the man. You know, I don't care about football. We, our conversations extended so far outside of football that, you know, it, it became real personal. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, you know, a lot of restrictions, man, but I worked my way through it. I navigated Well, you just heard part one of Michael Vick. Steve, when the Vick story broke and all this came out and became public, what was the reaction of, from you and players around the league? No way. You, are you no serious? way you didn't believe it? No, no way. Yeah. Like, nah, he couldn't been doing this. Gotcha. Stuff. And as as things kind of kept unraveling, you started to see that that was it, that was a true rabbit hole that they were and, and all the different stories and and it, it was it was unraveling at a rate that was so rapid. Mm-hmm. It was hard to really process. Is it is it true or not? And but here's one thing we all know. I don't care where you grew up. I don't care what you're in or not into. When the FBI come knocking on the door. They're not asking. They, they ain't doing a wellness check, yeah. right? They already have That's you. That's what they already know. It is really is how big of a, how deeper of a hole are you going to dig yourself in? It shocked all of us, and it shocked us even more, is the time that he received and what he had to do mm-hmm. and what he went through. It was really surreal, and living here in Charlotte, we were getting a lot of information mm-hmm. because it ain't nothing but three hours away. So, right. as they say, the streets were talking. There was a lot of stories out there that good, bad, and different. I don't really, I don't, I didn't really it's listen to them to because, it. hell, the, the same stories you could say about a ton of different people, right? Being a football player uh, is no different, or being an athlete, celebrities, entertainers, no different to anybody else's life. The only only difference is you get to see our lives unfold in front of a camera. The question is, if we followed you around with a camera of 24 hours what a day, we find? what will we find? And people forget that. You know, so so before you get your before you get your three smooth stones, <laughs> you know. Get get them skeletons out your closet get before them you try to investigate someone else's. So that was really cool. I hope you enjoy it. Um, but also, no, there's two parts of this. Yeah, part two coming up. Yes. And there's even, it's even more meat on that in. bone. So, I love it. Cut to it with Steve Smith Sr., that is me, is a production of Cut to It LLC, Balto Creative Media, The Black Effect, and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From Cut To It, 
executive producer Steve Smith Sr., co-host Gerard Littlejohn, talent and booking manager Joe Fushi, social media manager Peyton Smith from Balto Creative Media. Cut to it is produced by Brian Baltashevich and Meredith Carter with production assistance by Alex Labreck. Production manager is Sarah Pollock. Theme music by Alex Johnson. Lyrics and vocals by Anthony Hamilton. You ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. It's on.